But Job 28 is a chapter about wisdom and the wisdom of Job and the wisdom of the Bible isn't just something for gurus, something nice, nice sounding quotes that don't connect with real life. The wisdom is about how to make sense of life. What, what, what is it that makes life livable? And for Job, this is no philosophical discussion that's up there in the clouds. It's about a reason, finding a reason to go on living, to make life bearable. See, he's lost everything, his family, his possessions, his health. He's even lost, in his mind, he's even lost his God. Finding wisdom is about finding meaning that makes life livable. Now, compared with the three rounds of speeches that we've just come through, a, a little bit like an endurance race, hasn't it? Uh, uh, compared with that, the message of chapter 28 is pretty clear. You'll notice that it appears in the middle of the last round of speeches that we dealt with last week. But we're dealing with it as a separate chapter. And the reason for that is it's very different to the uh, to the speeches that, that we just finished look, looking at. It's very different to the arguing and the toing and froing and the dialogue between Job and his friends. In contrast, it's very calm and reflective, isn't it? It's like a peaceful break in the debate. And it's quite different also in what it says. There's no defence here of Job's innocence. There's no arguing between Job and his friends. There's no complaints against God. Instead, it's a quiet, calm reflection on wisdom. The fact that chapter 28 is so different to the speeches has led a lot of people to say that these, these aren't the words of Job. It comes in the middle of the words of Job, but many commentators think that it's like an interruption by the author, uh, like an interlude. He pauses a debate for a chapter to make the point, to make a point. Now, it could be that. It could also be the voice of Job. Uh, in the chapters around it, we're told uh, when Job starts speaking, have a look at uh, chapter 27. Chapter 27, one, it's on the screen here. Uh, and Job again took up his discourse. And then in the next chapter, 29, verse 1, it also says Job again took up his discourse. But in the middle comes chapter 28. And there's no mention here of another speaker. So I think that these are quite likely to be a continuation of the words of Job. Uh, now, once again, if you're uh, paying attention, you'll see that I've changed my mind on this since writing the CG study. Um, but at the end of the day, it actually doesn't really matter who wrote it, whether it's Job or an author or uh, someone else. At the end of the day, the, the message is the same. And, and that's what we're going to uh, get into now. So in the first section in verses 1 to 11, Job praises the ability of human hands to dig and find treasures from the earth. Uh, and that's our first point, that no treasure is hidden from God that we cannot find. He goes to, on to describe how silver, gold, copper, precious stones and metals are all searched out. Uh, by, by humanity, and then taken out of the ground. Job says that there's pretty much nowhere beyond the reach of mining shafts and excavations, human ingenuity, in being able to dig it out. I'll pick it up in verse 3. 
Whoop, we lost our, I don't know what's happened with our, there we go. Verse three, man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit, the awe in gloom and deep darkness. Mining in the ancient world is probably the area where human ingenuity and um, technology was most clearly seen. Uh, human ability to seek out these things is far greater than the most skilled hunters in the animal kingdom. Have a look at verse 7. That path, the path to find gold and silver and that, no bird of prey knows and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Not only can humans find gold and silver, they can manipulate uh, nature to dig it out. Have a look at verse 9. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. As well as our human engineering is able to manipulate watercourses. Verse 11. He dams up the stream so that they do not trickle. And the thing that is hidden, he brings out to light. Job could marvel at human technology and science 3,000 years ago. Imagine how his eyes would boggle in 2020 to see uh, the level of achievement that we've been able to attain. Aeroplanes that fly gravity. I'm even told that he used to be able to fly to another country. Um, plans underway to take a mission to Mars, discovering, then replicating DNA. We could go on and on. So confident have we become in our ability to manipulate in our environment, to to uh, bring bring new technology to change our life, that COVID-19 running out of control, still unable to find a vaccine, has shocked us and shaken us, hasn't it? Because we're not used to that. We're not used to not being able to find answers. So the picture is of human ability to discover, to search out, to find solutions. And it almost seems from the beginning of this poem to be without limits, doesn't it? There is nowhere where the human hand cannot reach to dig out what it wants from the earth. But then Job changes his tone. Despite our ability to find and discover, wisdom is something that we're actually clueless about. We have no idea where to find it. And that's our second point. Wisdom cannot be found. And here Job gets to the heart of the chapter. The point of the chapter isn't actually to praise human skill and ingenuity. It's to show that despite all our skill and intelligence, we are still fumbling around in the dark when it comes to wisdom. We have two problems, says Job. One, we don't understand how valuable wisdom is. And two, we don't know where to find it. Have a look in verse 13. Man. Man does not know its worth, that is wisdom, and it is not found in the land of the living. And then listen as he goes on, pick it up in verse 14. The deep says it is not in me, and the sea says it is not in me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed at its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Unlike gold or silver that can be found and dug out, no matter how far it is under the ground, wisdom, verse 21, is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the sky. We can't find answers to the things that we really want answered. 
Why is there suffering? What's the meaning of life when we work, work, work and strive our whole lives to achieve, to save money, to build a nest egg for, for, for ourselves and for our, our kids, to do something worthwhile? But then it all comes to nothing when we die. Where's the meaning in that? Now, people have dealt with these questions in a number of different ways. There are those who turn to science for answers, thinking that science can answer the why questions, the meaning questions about life. People like Richard Dawkins. Listen to what Richard Dawkins says. It's up on the screen. In the universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. That's the world according to Richard Dawkins. Science has the last word for him on wisdom and there is no hope no comfort, no meaning. Well, another way of dealing with wisdom questions, and I suspect this is most more, most, much more uh, common for us in our culture, much closer to home, is to not understand its worth, as it says in verse 13, but instead we put it on the shelf and spend our time trying to find the equivalent of gold and silver in money things to make our lives more comfortable. They seem much more real than wisdom. We can put our hands on them. We know what they're like. We can, we can weigh its value. And wisdom, the big questions, well, as I said, it's easy to shelve them and to spend our time on working hard, getting financial security, looking after our family. Or maybe it's on playing hard. Maybe it's on, on seeking pleasure entertainment, enjoying life. But all that's a dead end too, isn't it? We can get financial security, but then what? We can enjoy life, get all the latest games. But then what? Some of the unhappiest people are those who outwardly seem to have the most success. Ernest Hemingway is one of those people. He was one of America's most successful writers. But despite all this success, Hemingway was an, a deeply unhappy man. This is a quote from Hemingway. The world breaks everyone, and after many are strong at the broken places. But those that aren't strong, those that will not break, the world kills. Hemingway was one of those who fell victim to the world. He ended up, ended up, despite all his success, he ended up taking his own life. But then there's another way that we human beings try to find wisdom, and that's in religion, in thinking that we know all the answers about God. We can work God out, and we can figure out how things fit together. That's what Job's friends did. They thought they knew the answers for Job. They believed that because Job was suffering, it must be the result of sin and that God was punishing him. 
they've believed in retribution theology. Remember, retribution theology that the righteous are blessed and the wicked are punished. And they thought they knew exactly what what was going on between God and Job. Now, the friends' arguments have ended at this point. They've run out of puff and there's nothing left for them to say. And chapter 28 is is Job's assessment of their human attempt to find wisdom. No matter how fine-sounding their arguments are, no matter how much they claim to understand God in his ways, in the end, they haven't found the answers. They are wrong about Job and they are wrong about God. They haven't been able to explain to Job why he's suffering when he's innocent. All they can do is make up lies about him and claim that he must have sinned. Their finite human brains have tried to find answers to make sense of things they can't understand, and they've come up short with no answers for Job. And so the friends have failed to find wisdom, just as all human attempts to find wisdom have also failed. But then Job goes on to say that God, on the other hand, does know where to find wisdom. And that's our third point. Wisdom is found in God. Have a look at verse 23. What? I don't know what's happening to the rest of the um, rest of the slide. Sorry about that. You'll just have to follow along on your Bibles if you if you have them. Uh, so we're up to verse 23. Verse 23 says, God understands the way to wisdom and he knows its place. Verse 24, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Humans don't know where to find wisdom, but God does. He alone knows the way to it and he alone knows where to find it because he set up wisdom when he created the world. Have a look at verse 25 when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. When he set up the wind and the rain and the lightning, it was in that process that that God put wisdom there to, to govern that process to be part of it. The idea seems to be that he used wisdom in the way that he set up the world. He knows the way the world works because he created it. And that's why he understands wisdom and we don't. We don't have inside information on the mind of God. He is the creator and we are the creatures. And then in verse 28, God speaks. And this is what he says. Have a look at verse 28 with me. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. In Proverbs, it sounds a lot like Proverbs verse 9, chapter 9, verse 10. Uh, You don't have to turn to it. Just listen to Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But notice there's a crucial difference here. In Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But for Job, it is wisdom, full stop. It is wisdom. 
it seems like Job is putting a big fence around wisdom with barbed wire on the top and saying that humans are on the outside of the fence, God is on the inside, and we can't get in. It's only through God that we can have any access to wisdom. Now, I want to point out something else about verse 28. I'll read it again, verse 28. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. If we compare that to the words at the very beginning of the book of Job, Job 1 verse 1, it says this, there was a man in, in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Can you hear the echo there? If we put these word, verses side by side, it's easy to see that 2828 is an echo of 1 verse 1. 2828, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. 1 verse 1, Job is a man who feared God and turned away from evil. So what Job is doing here is saying that he is a man who is wise. Unlike the friends who didn't understand God, didn't understand what he's doing, Job fears God and turns away from evil. Now, whether these words come from the mouth of Job or, or, or the author of the book, it actually doesn't really matter. The message is clear. The verdict after the speeches between Job and his friends is that the friends aren't wise at all. They haven't spoken what's right about God or about Job or about God. But Job still fears God. He is wise. So as we come to the end of the speeches, we, we kind of breathe a sigh of relief. This gab fest has gone nowhere and has finally come to an end. And the verdict is that human wisdom has not found the answers. But then there's a sense of things still being up in the air, isn't it? Job has just said that he knows how to be wise. He fears God. Uh, and, and that is the beginning of wisdom, and that is wisdom. And that sounds like a resolution, like a conclusion, doesn't it? But then we find out that the book keeps going on for another 14 chapters. Job still hasn't come to the uh, hasn't still got an answer to his problems. As we heard last week, chapter 29 follows 28, where Job goes on a rant against God for, for failing to be uh, exercise justice in the world. Job still hasn't found a solution to his problems. He still can't find God in his suffering. It's as if Job knows in his head that the, uh, the, the answers to his questions are in God, to fear him, to, to trust in him. But then in his heart... In his experience, there's this massive question of why God is still, why God is hiding himself. And he has no sense of finding rest in God. And that's why ultimately, Job, knowing the right answers of Job 28, aren't the end of the story in the book of Job. And so, if you want to find the answers, you'll have to come back next week and then the week after. <laughs> where hopefully we will find some answers. But what about for us? What does Job 28 say to us? 
Firstly, it tells us that as human beings, we won't get all the answers. We won't get all the answers to life's problems. Why has the world been brought to its knees by coronavirus? Why are there random accidents like the one that we saw last week in Beirut with the explosion? Taking innocent lives. Why do some people seem to have the dice loaded against them in life? With poor health, mental illness, domestic abuse, we could go on. We can't answer those questions, can we? Even as Christians, we don't know the answers to those things. And Job 28 reminds us that we need to have the humility to know that there are so many things about life that we just can't answer. But what we can do is this. What we can do is to trust that God does know the answers and we can rest in that knowledge. To be content with believing that the one who knows exactly how to weigh the wind and puts exactly the right amount of water in the ocean, he knows the answers. Being wise for for Job didn't answer all these questions. But perhaps it was enough. Perhaps fearing God, holding on to that belief in his goodness and love, even his justice, was enough to keep him standing. Oh, yeah, he, he was still in pain. He was still desperate for answers. He still ranted against God for, 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 for not showing himself. But fearing God was a foundation that kept him from utter collapse. And so too for us. Fearing God may not be the silver bullet that answers all your questions that answers all your fears or doubts, questions about the world. It may not give you tranquility amidst your turmoil. But it is what you need to get through. Trusting in the God who has the answers, even when you you don't have the answers, that's like a beacon of light that will get you through the dark. God doesn't promise that we won't suffer in this life. He doesn't promise that the Christian life will be easy or plain sailing. In fact, quite the opposite. God promises difficulty and suffering and trials. But what he does promise is that Jesus is our rock. And if we are wise, we will build our life on that rock, on him. And then we will be like a house that's built on a firm foundation. The storms will come. The rain will fall. The wind will blow. But when that storm passes, we will still be standing because our foundation is sure. Amen. I believe we have some questions, which I think are still there. Um, so if you are in a group, in a position to um, discuss those questions after we finish up here, uh, then please do. Please reflect on what you might have been challenged by uh, through God's word today. Have a great day.